Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I can't say that the past week has been the most fun week for investors. If I look at my returns, I'm down 5.49% in just the past five days. It's around $20,000 in losses. In the past quarter, it's been relatively the same, down around 5.5%. So over the past 90 days, I'm doing better than some portfolios, but I'm still heavily in the red. And unless you have some really specific portfolio, you're probably in the red as well. All the major indices, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2K are all deep in the red today and in the past five days. This is a real market sell-off. That's not an exaggeration. The NASDAQ, the tech-heavy index, is down 11.8% from its all-time highs, making it so that it's officially entered correction territory, which is a euphemism for saying that lots of people are losing money and the stock market is down over 10% from its all-time highs. If we drop another 10%, we enter into bear territory. Netflix stock, a company that I love and I'm invested in in my growth portfolio, is down 22% today on news of slowing subscriber growth. The market is very unforgiving right now, especially for companies like Netflix that have a higher PE ratio or higher price to sales. With just the drop in Netflix's price, other companies that are in the streaming business as well have been selling off like crazy. Disney's down 6.65% today. Viacom CVS is down 7%. Roku's down 7.39%. Discovery's down 5.27%. And even companies like Spotify that are even in similar industries are down 4%. Now you know me. When sell-offs like this happen, I rarely do anything. Most of the time, I just stay put in the holdings that I have. I don't make any aggressive changes with my portfolio. And that's again what I'm doing in this situation. But I think even if we're not really changing anything with our portfolio, it's good to take a step back and try to do analysis on what we can expect in the future. We know that the market is selling off and the major indices are moving lower, but this isn't where this began. It began with the high-flying companies, the ARK Invest type of companies. A year ago, these companies were all anyone talked about. They were the place to be, and Kathy Wood seemed like a genius at the time. After all, from the low in 2020, her fund was up in one year over 300%. That is incredibly good performance. But in just the past year, it's quite a different story. It's now down 50% from its all-time highs. But regardless, these are the type of companies that have been selling off for over a year now. The pandemic winners, the companies like Zoom and Teladoc and Roku, the companies like Unity and Spotify and Twilio, these companies were easy to point at and mock. To say, hey, who would be invested in these high-flying companies? They deserve to have these companies come down in price. And they have. The companies have come down in price. They've been re-rated, and there's been a massive sell-off. It started here, but it's starting to move to other places. Over the past six months, it moved into cloud companies. We have Wisdom Tree's cloud computing ETF. In just the past six months, it's down 26%. It moved from cloud computing companies to just software companies in general. No longer was it just the high-flying, super-high multiple companies, but it moved into companies like Adobe, companies like Salesforce. Anyone that knows Salesforce and Adobe knows that these are not pandemic stocks. These aren't ones that are just going to do well during a pandemic. These are incredibly profitable, powerful companies that have real earnings, real growth, and just the fact that they're in software has caused them 
to incur a big sell-off. But now this same sell-off, which started way back with those high-flying ARK Invest companies, has seemed to move to the broader index. The QQQ is down 12% from its all-time high. Investors across the board, even in the major indices, are losing money. Now, typically when these broad sell-offs happen, you have YouTubers come in and give you positive messages of reinforcement, saying that volatility is normal, sell-offs happen, This is all temporary, hang in there, buy the dip, keep on investing, and we'll get through this soon enough. And I think that's good advice. I could do that in this video as well, but I wanna do something different. I want to examine a major claim from a major bear. His name is Jeremy Grantham. He is basically a bubble predictor. He's been doing this his entire career for over 50 years. And Jeremy's not sharing a message that's positive that this is just a temporary drop and it'll be over soon. His message, which he's doubled down on now, is that we're in for an enormous market crash and that the market will go down an additional 50% from where it is today. Here's his warning about the market in his own words. This is what he says we're in for. Most of the great bubbles, the super bubbles, go below trend and stay there for quite a while. Uh, In the Greenspan era, that tendency stopped. In 2000, yes, the Nasdaq came down 82%, which was fairly brutal. Amazon came down 92. But the Federal Reserve raced to the rescue so loudly and strongly that they stopped the decline in the S&P at trendline. It only declined 50%. 50% is a hell of a big decline, uh, but it was only enough to get it back then to trend. This time trend is at most 2,500. And I would expect, even if the Federal Reserve tries to do the same, it will be hard to prevent the market from declining to that level. Jeremy's big claim is that the market always goes back to its trend line. It goes back to trend, and trend right now would mean 2,500. Now, if you haven't looked at the S&P 500 recently, it's at 4,400. That's what it's currently trading at. At its all-time high, it was at 4,800. So that means that if we go back to trend, which he says is 2,500, that would be roughly a 48% decline from all-time highs. Now, Jeremy also warns that the only reason the market is above trend right now is due to the Fed. He says it all comes down to the Fed and the support they've given, propping up the economy, making it so that the market can't trade down to trend. But he says that now, even with the Fed trying to do the same, they're not going to be successful. Even if the Federal Reserve tries to do the same, it will be hard to prevent the market from declining to that level. All right, well, that sounds pretty bad. Jeremy here is predicting that 50% decline from the peak of the market. If that happened, my portfolio would drop at least a couple hundred thousand dollars in value. Roughly 40% of the value would be wiped away. So that would not be a fun experience to go through. But maybe he's wrong. When trying to examine whether or not Jeremy's right or wrong, we can take a look at his track record and see how accurate he is with his predictions. Well, Jeremy Grantham has a pretty darn good track record as a bubble caller. He is, as you know, a value investing legend. He's been in the markets for 50 years and calling bubbles for almost as long. He called the great Japanese stock and real estate bubble back in the late 80s. He called the tech bust in 1999-2000. And he was onto the housing bubble here in the United States before the financial crisis of 2008. So his track record 
is awfully good. All right, so it sounds like he's been around for a while and he's called accurately a bubble or two throughout history. So he has been giving warnings of real bubbles that have been happening, but I also want to push back on this point and highlight that even though Jeremy Grantham's track record of calling bubbles is very good, he also seemingly has a lot of false positives. Here's an article from the Wall Street Journal in January 27th, 2010. January of 2010 had to be one of the best times to be buying stocks. Since then, the market's gone up over 300%. The investment guru who correctly predicted the 2009 market rally now warns that a new bubble is forming. Stocks are likely to move higher in coming months, but prices are expensive and long-term investors should be mindful of the volatile mix the Federal Reserve policy and the government actions are causing, according to Mr. Grantham. This warning back in 2010 seems to mirror the one that he's giving now. But the warning that he's giving now and even doubling down on seems far more extreme. And he says this bubble, what he describes as a super bubble, is only one of four the United States has seen in the past century. It is a multi-sigma deviation from trend. That's a statistical term. He says it comes around exceedingly rarely. And when it does, the patterns are unmistakable and the inevitable result is, as you say, a crash. Well, that feels like a chilling warning about the market. But again, maybe Jeremy is just crazy. Let's go ahead and examine his claim further and see what he actually says. He recently wrote about the topic saying, quote, The last 12 months have been a classic finale to an 11-year bull market. Peak overvaluation across each decile by price to sales so that the most expensive 10% is worse than what it was in 2000 tech bubble and the remaining nine deciles are much more expensive. All measures of debt and margin are at peaks. Speculative measures, such as call option volumes, volume on individual trading, and quantities over-the-counter or penny stocks are all at records. Now he says, meanwhile, Robinhood and commission-free retail trading have driven a surge of new investors with no experience of past bubbles or busts, so the scale of craziness is even larger. Cryptocurrencies represent over one trillion of claims on total asset value while adding nothing. Pure dilution. QuantumScape, my own investment from over seven years ago, is a brilliant research lab. For a minute, it sold above GM and Panasonic's market value, even with no sales. Finally, Dogecoin, AMC, GameStop, worth billions in the market and not even pretending to be serious investments. AMC is up nearly 10 times since before the pandemic, even though the box office is down nearly 80%. Dogecoin was created as a joke to make fun of cryptocurrencies being worthless, and not only has it taken off, But it's such a success that second-level joke cryptocurrencies making fun of Dogecoin have gone to multi-billion dollar valuations. Meanwhile, the other cryptocurrencies have seen success purely on the basis of their scatological names. He continues saying, quote, Meme investing, the idea of something being worth investing in, or rather gambling in, simply because it is funny, has become commonplace. It's a totally nihilistic parody of actual investing. This is it, guys. This is the biggest U.S. fantasy trip of all time. Now, after actually reading about Jeremy's argument, to me, he doesn't sound so crazy. In fact, I find myself agreeing with almost everything that he said here. This is some crazy stuff going on in the market right now. Now, reading further, his argument gets more convincing and more intense. He says, this current event is particularly dangerous because bonds, stocks, and real estate are all inflated together. Even commodities have surged. That perfecta and a half has never happened before anywhere. The closest was in Japan in 1989 with two hyperinflated asset categories, record land and real estate. Worse than the South Sea bubble. Together with record PEs and stocks recorded at the time as 65 times. 
That was the average P.E. ratio in Japan in 1989. The consequences for the economy were dire, and neither land nor stocks have yet returned to their 1989 peaks. Now, what he highlights here is accurate. Japan has had a very rough couple of decades. It's starting to make some gains recently, but it is still below where it was in 1989. Ultimately, Jeremy relies on a long history of predicting bubbles to see fact patterns. He recognizes them by now, and he also shows the long-term trend of the stock market. And he says that eventually the stock market will revert back to the long-term trend. This is a chart representing that long-term trend. You have the squiggly red line, which is the S&P 500. So that's the market going up and down. And then that center pink line going through the S&P 500, that is the long-term trend. You can see that over time, the S&P 500 deviates going far above it and far below it, but eventually it goes to that trend. Right now, we're far above that trend. And this is a huge part of the basis of Jeremy's argument. He believes that we're returning to trend. Now, whether or not Jeremy ends up being correct in this bubble call is anyone's best guess. Only time will tell. But I will say that Jeremy Grantham is not the only one talking about a reversion back to the mean, going back to trend. The famed investor that recently passed away, John C. Bogle, that really started low-cost index funds and has really revolutionized the world, he said something very similar. In chapter 9 of his book, he outlines 10 simple rules for investors and a warning for speculators. John Bogle highlights that rule number one is remember reversion to the mean. He specifically put this one as the first rule because of how important it is. He says reversion to the mean applies to different funds, different ETFs, all different types of investments, and it also applies to the stock market itself. Simply because of dividend yields and earnings growth, the fundamental value of stocks is highly likely to increase over time, which is accurate. That's been happening. But when the stock market returns substantially exceed the investment returns generated by dividends and earnings during one era, the market tends to first revert to and then fall well short of that norm during the next era. Like a pendulum, prices swing far above their underlying value only to swing back to fair value and then far below it, and then converge again. When returns in the stock market get way ahead of the fundamentals or way behind it, the reversion to the mean will strike again sooner or later. It seems to me that Bogle and Grantham here are making similar points, but stating them in different ways. They both believe that over time the market can get ahead of itself or it can sell down too aggressively, but eventually it reverts back to the mean. Now, how much has the stock market really gotten ahead of itself? Are the prices really that disconnected with their dividends and earnings growth? Well, we can look at the S&P 500, for example. Here's the amount of buybacks that the S&P 500 has done over the past 20 years. You can see that we had a big spike in 2007. That was a good year for buybacks. And then, of course, as we went into recession, that number dropped down dramatically. But since then, the buyback level has returned and even surpassed where we were before. We're now above $220 billion in buybacks in the S&P 500. Dividends have actually been growing faster than buybacks. If we look at 2007, dividends did go down a little bit. But overall, dividend payments are much more steady and reliable than buybacks. And over time, companies have grown their dividends pretty substantially. In 2007, they were averaging just above $60 billion per quarter. But now we're getting dividend payments nearing $140 billion per quarter. So dividend payments over this past 10 years have increased by more than double. Now, this actually looks pretty good in and of itself. The stock market is creating more value. Dividend payments are going up. Earnings are growing and buybacks are going up. But now let's go ahead and do a quick comparison of the price of the S&P 500 against dividend payments and buybacks. 
and you can see where the disconnect is happening. Up until recently, the prices for the S&P 500 has stayed pretty close to the dividends and buybacks. When those grew, the price of the S&P 500 grew by correlation. But over the past five or so years, the correlation has started to diverge. Now the price of the S&P 500 is racing up far past the growth of dividends and share buybacks. On top of the disconnect of the S&P 500 from dividends and share buybacks, it's also becoming a little bit more disconnected from its earnings. The Ford P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 is currently 21.1, which is a little high compared to its historical median of 15. So any way you try to measure it, the market still looks a little expensive right now compared to historical norms. And while the sell-off continues on and we see more and more red in our portfolios every single day as time goes on, you get to ask yourself, what is the best course of action? What should we be doing in this situation? You might be tempted to sell out right now, and maybe that's the best course of action, but that's not one that I'm going to be taking. I want to reference rule two from John C. Bogle right after reversion to the mean. He says, time is your friend impulse is your enemy. Now here's the important part. Realize that one of the greatest sins of investing is to be captivated by the siren song of the market, which can lure you into buying stocks when they are soaring and into selling stocks when they are plunging. Impulses like these can destroy even the best portfolios. Why? Because market timing is impossible. Even if you turn out to be right when you sell stocks just before decline, a rare occurrence, where on earth would you ever get the insight that tells you the right time to get back in? One correct decision is tough enough. Two correct decisions in a row is nigh on impossible. And a dozen correct decisions over your investment lifetime is unimaginable. And this is where I agree wholeheartedly with John C. Bogle here. Trying to time the market is impossible. Even when you have people like Jeremy Grantham calling for a downturn, saying that it's going to happen, you have talks of reversion to the mean and going back to trend, and all of it seems very convincing, like it could happen this year or next year, trying to time it is impossible. Bogle says it's impossible. Peter Lynch says it's impossible. Warren Buffett does. Every single long-term successful investor has all said that timing the market is impossible. So when I look at articles like this, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 finished the worst week since the pandemic onset, it's very concerning. Articles like this implore you to do something and make changes to your portfolio, but you don't have to. And in my opinion, I think most of the changes people make when sell-offs like this happen ultimately hurt their performance more than help it. But that's just my opinion. That's all for this episode. I'll see you in the next one.